We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. Right today. Welcome to the Eight Black Hands Podcast. Let's start it off with the fellas. Let's do our weekly wellness check. Charles, how you doing, bro? I'm decent, man. I, I had a wellness check and then I saw the hat you had on and I felt bad for you because your people filed <laughs> bankruptcy. Hey, I'm sorry, man. And RIP to the, you know, to the legends, to the goats. Uh, they might still make it though, brother. The hat looks good on you, B. I appreciate that. <laughs> That's my wellness check. Check it over you. Um, uh, Chris, how you doing, bro? I'm good, man. It's a good week. I'm doing well. <laughs> Nothing, nothing to complain about. I'm blessed. Yeah, it's a good feeling to be blessed. Uh, Mr. El Mecky, what's happening, bro? Hey, man. Good to see y'all. It's a good day, beautiful day. Uh, Eid Mubarak to all the Mu'mins, Muslimas, and uh, Mu'minin out there. As uh, Ramadan ended uh, and everybody's celebrating the Eid. So good, good weekend. Yeah, that's what's up. All right, bro. So today, man. We are here to honor you in your work, bro. But before we dive in, uh, let's get some uh, crowd participation going on here. Uh, yeah, let's let's see uh, let's see what we got going on here. So, if you're in the comments, let us know where you stand. Sugar or salt on your grits? Oh, stop it. Sugar uh, or salt on yeah, your grits? This should be like a hundred to zero. There's only one. There's only one right answer. Chris, Chris where, salt, you at, pepper, butter. where you at? Where you at? Where you at? Salt, pepper, butter. Salt, pepper, butter. That's it. And if you get a little frisky, you can put some hot sauce on. But salt, pepper, butter. That's it. <laughs> Reef, where you at? Salt and butter. Salt and butter? Yep. Salt and okay, butter. Uh, Don't do it, Charles. Daddy. Don't Charles do it, Charles. I, 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 love, I love sugar and grits. I love oh, it. It's oh meals, though, right? Like, I, I can do it. If I'm doing it with salt and pepper, it's usually because I got shrimp or something in it. Like, if I'm doing it, like, more of a decadence with, like, something in it, then I'll do salt and pepper. But if it's just, like, for breakfast with my food, oh, man. Bro, I grew up with my granny in Kentucky, bro. I need that sugar on them things. I, and I don't care how none of y'all feel about it. Well, listen, that's cream of wheat, bro. That's I, definitely, that that is. Is. I saw that earlier. And if you put sugar, you put sugar on your grid, you're a terrorist. <laughs> I agree with that. That's not a bad take. That's a good take. Hey, man, it's all good. David rock with me. I feel you, David. It's nothing. David, I got you. Speaking of David in the Patreon group, Ooh, wait a yeah, second, wait cold. a second. Chalegra yeah. says Gouda cheese. Okay, so this fancy. is fancy. Yes, yes. <laughs> I can't yeah. even. I can't even afford Gouda cheese. You know what oh, I mean? Man. I don't know, but what that up, sounds bro? good. What up, baby? Is that, is that your brother, brother uh, Ray? No, it's my uncle. That's your uncle. How you yeah. doing, Mister Jafar? Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's 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 move on. Um. Go ahead. I'll take it down. Go ahead. So if you if you're in the comments, we're asking for you to share. And if you're in the comments, we're asking for you to be super active tonight. We're trying to get 100 shares and 300 comments. So let's get this thing working. All right. Got a second. I love it. Thank you guys for being in. um, Thank you guys for being in in, uh, participants. So we appreciate you tonight. So my take, I got the first take, the first segment. 
And here's where I'm going to go with it. So, Joe Biden has said to y'all black folks that if y'all vote for Trump, y'all ain't really black. I thought we was doing the show Focus on Sharif. Yeah, but I get a hot take. I don't you get a hot take. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's it's right. Ray's take. It is Ray's take. It is Ray's yeah. take. Ray. Or take Ray. Ray. One or the other. You know. Right. Take yeah, whatever. Ray. Take Ray. Anyways, yeah. what I'm going to say is this. Even with Joe Biden uh, misspeaking, and he does this a lot, he misspeaks a lot, I'd rather take a drunk Joe Biden over a sober Donald Trump. Mm, so Donald for all Trump. you folks that are mm. peddling these analogies mm. about Donald Trump, about, about I'm not voting for Biden, if you do not vote for Joe Biden, you are essentially voting for Donald Trump. That's not true. And so... <laughs> That's absolutely true. We got finish your take, brother. We got to let you. It's your segment. If you, if you, so if you, if you, if you vote, if you're, not, you're not voting for Joe Biden. You are voting for Trump. I don't give a shit if you're in a, a heavily Democratic state. I don't care if you're in a swing state. I don't care where you are. If you are not voting for Biden, you are voting for Trump. And I'm a Republican, and I'm saying this to you. Mm-hmm. And so I know for me, this is not going to really affect me too much because my life is going to be pretty good. I'll probably get somebody in my house that'll have antibodies for COVID-19 and I'll live through this. But this is for the poor and unfortunate folks that don't really have much say, right? I'm voting for Biden for (laughs) y'all. You're so kind. You're so kind. Thank you so much for your service. (laughs) All right. So let's jump right into these, uh, these things here. All right. So, um, (laughs) <laughs> Mine said a black Republican. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm trying. Hey, I'm getting ignited in, man. All right, so Reef, coming straight to you, bro. Explain the concept because all we always hear you talking about it, and we always hear like how much of an impact that it's had on your life, bro. Uh, talk to us about the concept behind Nandu Sasa. Uh, all right. Yeah. So Nathan Sasa was a, a Pan-African freedom school up in Germantown section of Philadelphia, started by activists, uh, Mama Fasaha, Baba Mjenzi, Mama Renee, you know, so Baba Jehudi, so many. Um, uh, and they were all parents. You know, everybody who worked there was also a parent there. And how they the cover of a of a uh, parent handbook that I found from 82 uh, said an alternative uh, educational experience. And so what they really was trying to do were uh, raise black children, ensure that they were uh, well-educated. Uh, everybody who graduated from there was able to skip uh, a grade or two in school uh, once they went to a, a traditional school. It was a pre-K to sixth grade school. And it was it was uh, all about loving black children, loving the black community. They taught us to lift as we as we climbed, they told us we were responsible for our community. And they were they basically said, hey, you're being trained as our replacements, uh, next generation of freedom fighters. And so I just appreciated them being activists and educators. Um, yeah, they were they were amazing. That's what's up. So, fellas, hearing uh, your Reef's uh, description of his school, what are your thoughts, Charles? Um, I mean... I ain't got a lot of thoughts on that part. I, I'm, I mean, I, I'm, I, I didn't know what that was, so I'm just like learning like more about um, 
that's just a term I never heard before. So I appreciate the oh, the name. Then the, so that is spelled. Well, you have it as it's two words. So you have it together. But okay, uh, it's Nithamu Sasa. That's Swahili for discipline. Now, okay, and and what it, how they uh, taught us was like you need uh, self control and self discipline in order to advance the banner. You know, um, and it was they were revolutionaries, man. You you got to remember this was uh, I was there in the seventies, and what that whole uh, you know atmosphere was like. And so they were training basically revolutionaries in that in the context of the the late sixties and seventies. That's what's up. So then that takes us to the next question: How has this informed uh, your activism? Man, it it was. I think it continued to inform and I, I'm still chasing as a principal. I was still chasing some of the vision that, you know, and the experiences that I had at the Thamusasa. Like, you know, let me give you an example. So one of our field trips was uh, to go out and see the chalk line where the police had murdered this uh, this black man who was carrying a TV. Black man was carrying his TV in Germantown uh, section of Philadelphia. The police yelled freeze and he just panicked and started running and they killed him turns out you know they thought he was you know uh stealing the tv turns out it was his own tv hmm. but just just the the fear and anxiety of you know cops rolling up on him like that he just panicked and, and ran and they shot him in his back so remind you, I'm in like third grade, uh, fourth grade. They took us uh, to the next day, which was, it was about a block away from the school. And we went and looked at the chalk line and we had a lesson and conversation about, about what's happening. Another field trip was, you know, Angela Davis would come, you know, visited our school um, and spoke to us. Uh, Dr. Sonia Sanchez, who also had a child there, would come and read poetry uh, to us. But one of our field trips was we went, we walked over to Jersey Bridge and and um and saw Angela Davis speak. Right. So even as a child, I couldn't understand everything she was saying, but I got the gist of what she was saying, you know. And so the revolutionaries that would come in and out and visit our schools were things that I still, you know, my entire career I thought about, you know. What would they do at Nintamosasa? How were they training black children, educating black children? And how do we help students have the discipline and foresight to uh, support themselves as well as uh, the community? Bro, like, so I'm just amazed with just your academic trajectory uh, from elementary school all the way through high school. And so it made me think of this. Next question, which is uh, America does an amazing job of bastardizing anything it doesn't understand. Talk to us about your education abroad in Iran. And uh, do you think the Iranians are bad people? Because man, you know, a lot me, of folk here do. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, it's, uh, it's propaganda, man. Let me tell you, my, my experience in Iran was uh, it was beautiful. I enjoyed it immensely. Um, when I got old, when I was older, my oldest son said, hey, you had that experience. I want to go. So he went back and, and lived there for a couple of years. You know, my brother was still there for, um, you know, at that moment. And, you know, I, I think their one, their educational uh, experience was fantastic. I, I did middle school there and I mentioned it to this on uh, response to one of Stewart's uh, tweets today. I, I came back 
and they gave me a test and they were like, oh, you can go to the 11th grade. I had only finished the eighth grade in Iran. Wow. Based off the test, they wanted to put me in the 11th grade. My mother said, nah, you're not going to 11th grade. You know, you can go to the 10th grade. So she let me skip one grade. I graduated high school as, as a 16 year old. So by 16, I was on the college campus um, that, you know, late that summer. And so like, it wasn't just Iran, but you know, that school and the educational piece was, was fantastic, man. They were, they were serious about math, literature, uh, you know, poetry, you know, like, you know, we took a course, you have literature, you have writing and you have poetry as a course, you know, you took geography, you took science. Um, I read one place, man, Iran has some of the highest percentage uh, for a country that size per capita of doctors and scientists in the world. So they, you know, they take their education seriously. You know, if you get into college, it's free for whoever, you know, um, is able to pass the test and get in there. So I, I enjoyed the experience, man. My brother married an Iranian. My little sister was born in Iran. And, you know, I think it's a lot of propaganda and politics that, that get you to hate a whole entire people um, because of uh, disputes with politi- between politicians. That's what's up. All right. So taking this to the fellas. <laughs> fellas, do you think if you had this kind of schooling, experience uh would it have added perspective into how you see the world why don't y'all start with chris you ain't heard from young chris uh so i'd say yeah definitely I, i look at sharif and sharif is at peace with the world sharif um has a way of of like uh existing throughout the world in which he just you can just tell he's comfortable in his own skin he's peaceful he's um he's settled a lot of things he knows some things he's an educator um and this grounding that he had in the um in the schools that he was in i think did a lot to affirm him early affirm his character affirm his position in the world and that's what gives you that peace and that comfort uh to be able to travel anywhere and be okay in your own skin i love the idea about iran though so you go to iran and about the same time, I don't know where we are with it, with each other's age, but around the same time when we were having the Iranian crisis, mm-hmm. my school was full of people that were, uh, you know, drawing anti-Iran pictures and, you know, posters. And in some of our classes, like our class, I remember us like specifically having an uh, assignment to actually um, do some posters that were like anti-Iranian posters or whatnot. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So here I'm an adult now, all these years later, I, I know more, I've learned, you know, you know, you and I are talking about this, you were over there at the time, but just think about the social training in that. Just think about the, the lesson. Um, the difference between what you were being taught and what I was being taught is, is huge. Right. Um, and evident in the way that, you know, we ended up growing up differently. I think evident too. Mm. That's what's up, Charles? Uh, yeah, man. Oh, go ahead. I'll let you use doing the screen. Um, I think, I think absolutely it, it impact how how you look at things. I, I look at just my own schooling, living in different parts of the country. I mean, I don't know much about Iran. I'm pretty ignorant to the things that uh, both Chris and, and, and Reef were just talking about. It just wasn't in my sphere of like learning, uh, but just going to school in Chicago and then in Kentucky and then in Oakland, uh, it definitely shaped how I view like the Midwest and the South. Uh, I remember when I went to college and I felt like I felt like my university was kind of unfair to the South a lot. Um, like it just like it just wasn't people living there. So I can only imagine like I've seen it happen to other countries. And, you know, experiences change when you go over there, you know, and my brother, uh, you know, my brother went did his tour over in Iraq and and, and then um, in Afghanistan, it just changed his perspective on those places. So 
I think that you only benefit, uh, you know, albeit if you can come back, if you're safe and nothing, you know, tragic happens or whatnot. But I think that traveling and living amongst other people always expands your horizon. So, we, we you know, uh, yeah, absolutely. Just to answer that question. Yeah, I, I should bring up something, too, fellas. You know, like when we were there, this was a little bit after Iraq invaded. So there was a war going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. So they, they were rationing off uh, things. Sometimes Iraqi warplanes would go over the city. They would shut the lights out. We'd run out into the street to watch the anti-aircraft artillery go off. Like, so this was all of that while, you know, that was happening, right? Like little, you know, this is a, a mass of people uh, who thumbed their nose at the CIA, you know, kicked out the, the dictator. And so all of that was going on uh, while we were going to school, you know? Um, and you were still learning though. That's yeah. what's killing me about this. Oh story. yeah, school, school continued. <laughs> yeah, and, and you learn. I mean, so so you you tweeted this out today in response to something that I, I wrote about some other somewhere else in the world. There was a class of people being taught, young kids being taught uh, computer programming without a computer. So the teacher had actually drawn on the board a computer and was using it to to teach kids with. My tweet was just basically saying, stop giving me the example that our kids here in America can't teachers can't teach and kids can't learn specifically because they're poor. And that's when you retweeted the thing about Iran. Right. So you're in Iran. You're like in the middle of a war zone and people Mm -hmm. are learning to read and write and think and become philosophers and poets and all that. It's an, it's amazing when you think about your education and all of the excuses we hear today in contemporary times, the United States about not teaching kids. Mm -hmm. I had had actually jumped into that, uh, that, that Twitter thread. Oh, I missed, um, I missed your response. Yeah. One of my, one of my takes from, from my takeaways from that actual tweet was that I think that when you don't have resources, it forces you to be creative as a teacher. And so a lot of times when you have people that don't really want to be creative and don't really want to teach in those spaces, then that's when they start using excuses like, all right, well, I don't have the resources. And you start hearing those resource conversations. But you know, I worked in schools that I didn't really have resources, but I love my kids enough to be innovative enough to want to uh, to do better and do right by them. So thanks for that tweet. I appreciate it. There's a question here um, from Leah saying, yes, but is there free universal education in Iran? That's a good question. Free universal education, like meaning public schools? Yeah, I mean, like here, you know, it's universal free education. Everybody, it's open to everybody. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. it's open to everybody. Yeah, girls, I mean, girls too. It was like everything. Oh, girls yeah. too. I mean, they were separate. They were not co-ed schools. It was boys' schools and girls' schools. Mm-hmm. We we went. There were so many students in school that uh, you know we went in shifts. So you'd go in the morning shift for two weeks, then you go in the afternoon shift for two weeks. But like you know, education and literature and poetry, like. The culture there is you can ask any four or five year old, even, you know, um, before they even start school. Hey, recite a poem to me. You know, uh, that's how they they would even you know, that's part of the culture that even children, that memorization was important and, and science and math. Um, yeah. Edu- the, the women are well educated. Like they, they go to school, they go to college. They, you know, they're just as as brilliant as everybody. My sister was in school. Um, while she was there, you know, one of my sisters, you know, so yeah. All right. Red so, alert flows because Leah came back at you again. She comes yeah, back with that, with yeah, that alternative yeah, narrative. Leah's yeah. gonna come. Leah's gonna come for the next forty minutes. So you know, we're gonna get to her though. She coming with hey, that other narrative. Right now, <laughs> let's take a pause. Mm. But right. the short answer is yes, Leah. Yes. Here yeah. we yeah. go. 
All right, let's go. <laughs> is this Chris's band? Okay, good, good. You I've already waiting, know. I've been waiting for this all week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's my bad take already? Oh, damn. <laughs> damn. You got to give us some warning. <laughs> uh, you know, well, here's my bad take of, of the week. It's in the opposite to your bad take, which is a vote for um, for nothing not voting for Biden is not a vote for Trump. A vote for Trump is a vote for Trump. A vote for Biden is a vote for Biden. A vote for a third party is a vote for a third party. And a vote to sit my black ass at home and not vote for shit or Shinola is also a vote too. It's a vote to sit my black ass at home and not vote for either shit or Sharp, right? Because like, <laughs> yeah, a shit and Sharp are pretty close to each other, right? You want four more years of Trump doing that shit. Listen, listen. You, you, we could use that excuse every four years, every six years, every eight years, you know, wherever you want. Use the boogeyman of the, well, yeah, you know, we know this is jacked up, but you still got to vote for jacked up because the other jacked up is more jacked up. And at some point, at some point, we have to break the cycle and break the trend. And I'm not saying this lightly. I was, I, I've been willing to, to look at this dude and give him some leeway. But man, man, is he like, is he tone deaf, Bro. tone dead? I don't know what it is. I don't know what is wrong with him, but he ain't getting my vote unless he he better. He better. Here's my pushback. Thank, my thank God he better pick a VP that just blows me away. Bro, here's my done deal. I stay home. My only pushback, my only pushback to that, which is this, what? right? Which is, is that we have seen Trump's cabinet. We have seen yeah. mm-hmm. the level of idiocracy that he surrounds himself with. I can and assure see, you. And we see a different idiocracy on the horizon if you look at this dude. This dude has ran for president multiple times and lost. Yeah, but we, we haven't talked about who he's going to surround himself with. We're not talking about who he's going to surround. But there's some brilliant minds in the if Democratic Party. If you don't know right to now. vote for me, you ain't black. <laughs> if you don't know to vote for me, boss hog white man. Like, listen, <laughs> let's just be real. Our choices are all years not breaking the cycle. Ge- geriatric white men in the first place. We had Bernie. We had Biden. And we have Trump, right? So yeah. which shirt do you want to vote for, right? But but listen, listen, I have been willing to say yeah. what you're saying right now. I've yeah. been saying it all along, but he's getting worse. He's you getting know, worse even in the summer yet, and he's I, getting worse. I, I feel I feel like we should be taking this conversation to the Patreon. We're gonna do it. And we will. Because I because I because I want to make sure I want to I want to keep talking because I some stuff I want to learn about Sharif, and I think it's gonna be a spicy conversation. And, get there. Uh, it should it should be we should reward our patrons uh with that. But that's uh, your bad take. <laughs> would, it's all good. It's that is all good. My bad good take. Tell them Parker Ballad of the Bullet. You know, that's the right. fox and the wolf. That's right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yes. All right. So Reef, back to you, sir. Explain to the audience what school to activism pipeline is. Yeah, school to activism pipeline. I, I think I think that's a big part of what Nathan Sasa did is just, you know, uh, Dr. Cole talks about, you know, uh, agency a lot. And I, I think that's really a, a big part of it. You know, allowing students. We, we didn't ask students, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was more or less around, you know, what's problems do you want to solve? What's the question that you want to ask and answer? What are the questions out there that have not been answered that that you feel like you can weigh in on? And then what's the education that you need to do that? You know, and so the school activism pipeline is really around making sure students have the education they need to 
to, you know, lead and serve in their communities. And so continuing that, that where, what are you passionate about? What do you want to fix? What do you want to address? How do you want to support your community? And that's, you know, that's what, what activism is. And so, you know, a lot of times we talk about the school to prison pipeline and while you're dismantling that, you have to be imagining about something to build. A lot of times people talk about deconstructing this, you know, breaking this down. You also have to have an imagination about and hope about what do you want to build? And so the school to activism pipeline, we believe, could support that. And and really, you know, our, our youth are brilliant. Every movement that you've ever seen in the history of the world was deeply involved the youth, deeply involved, all the changes. And so we want to just continue that that legacy and supporting youth and our students in doing that. And so that's what I felt Nathan Musasa built and created. Um, a lot of you, I've, I've shared some of the work of, you know, like a Dr. Ayla Stanford, who was one of my uh, schoolmates, right? And so like the work that she's doing first, black pediatrician in America that was wholly trained in America in the United States. Uh, when they had the earthquake in Haiti, you know, uh, they were flying children to her for her to do the surgery on them. You know, so, she, you know, it's, it's like that kind of thing. Like, how do you support your community? And and that's what we uh, that's what we felt the school to activism pipeline is. But students are our main part of building it. That's what's up. And so, fellas, I'm not letting y'all off the hook because I feel like everybody that's on this podcast does a certain level of activism. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Charles, starting with you, bro. Energy converters. Let's talk about it. I mean, listen, I just want young people to be able to have actual choices when they get older. Like whether I like your choice or not, I just want you to be able to choose. Right. Uh, If you like if you want to go to the military, I want you to be going to the military because that's what you want to do. Not because you feel like you have to and you don't have any other options. So what I try to do is I'm not giving out fish. I don't have fish to give, but I'm giving out a whole bunch of poles. And I don't think that we are teaching our young folks uh, or our communities how to be prepared or ready for whatever comes. Uh, and so that's how I kind of look at it. Right. So I think that we can kind of fix those issues, um, you know, by making sure that people know how to get the things that they need. And so if you if your school isn't providing that, if, if, if you're as an educator, if you just only following a curriculum that was given to you by the state or by the government or whatnot, and you're not teaching people how to live and thrive, um, then I think it's going to be really rough. So that that's that's my view on that. Um, and that's what I focus on when I talk to people. That's what's up. Now, Chris, not letting you off the hook, bro, because yo, you founded an organization for women. That's an amazing organization, even though you don't run it anymore. So I want you to talk about that and the thought process behind that. I mean, the thought that you're talking about the Wayfinder Foundation yeah. and the yeah. thought process behind that was simple. It's just that if you want activism, you have to invest directly in activists. So the fund was put together. Wayfinder was a fund. Basically, the fund was put together to make direct investments into women because they are the the main uh, educational decision makers um, to you know, get them grants so that they can spend substantially more time challenging the systems that are supposed to serve them, but aren't doing a good job of serving them. But when you talk about activism and I'm thinking about Charles, I'm thinking about you, Ray, I'm thinking about um, um, me and, and Sharif. There's a continuum like we have to do some activism around our teachers in the classroom right now in the regular system about helping them be better and helping them have what they need and be supported. That's today or that's yesterday and today. We have to activate around that because that's where kids are. We also have to activate around enabling what we need for tomorrow. So when Sharif says we can't, it's not enough just to beat up the system. You have to start thinking about what you're going to build. 
in its place, you have to create space to make that happen. And you have to like grease the skids so that you have the policies that enable you to be able to do that. You can't do that if people are shutting down roads to alternative schools, shutting down roads to schools that exist with outside of the system. So that's the activism. We have to activate for the kids where they are today. We have to activate for the policies that help get us to, to tomorrow. Mm. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Hey, Chris, can you just scoot if you can, if you could just scoot up a little bit in your frame. I I, I just don't want your face cut off every time we got like good comments that supporting you. And uh, we just why are you using these big, these big because it's beautiful. They're huge. They're huge. They take up half the screen. Can, can you just take the directional note? Can you just, can you just a better take one. the producer note and keep Here's going? The, who's the producer? Who's, who's producing this one? Everybody but you. Listen, 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 is it you? Is it you in the R. Kelly set set drop there? What's, what's happening? What is, what is happening what, with you right now? Happening, right? Right? Brother. You can't just be saying shit like that. You know, what I'm <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Look behind him. It's either Drake or it's R. Kelly video. Yeah, happening behind Drake, him. You can't say R. Kelly, exactly. man. Not today. And I'm in the closet. And I'm in the closet. You stay just like that in the frame. You stay just like that in the frame. And you're in Chicago, too, so you know it's, it's our killer. Yeah. But keep oh going. Can we keep, keep going? going keep going. Yeah, I'm going to keep, keep going. going. <laughs> so, Reef, Reef, man, you founded the Black Male Fellowship. And let me tell you, you know, I was first introduced to the Black Male Fellowship when I came down to Philly in order to see, you know, one of the conferences from, like, start to finish. And it was amazing, like the energy that was there, celebrating black males uh, in a way that I had never seen before. And there was people that were coming from all over the country in order to do this. So I want you to talk to us about just like your mindset behind why this was important to you and then how this tied into the school to activism pipeline. Yeah, I mean, I think it really went back to that idea of lift as you climb, Um, you know, for for years, uh, I, you know, one, I was a black male educator who came in. I was the only black male in my school that was in the classroom full time. There were a couple others who had leadership positions. And so they, you know, they they taught uh, part time. But I was the only full time classroom teacher. And, you know, that, that stuck with me, but it, I didn't act upon it, you know. Um, but it was really after had this, uh, you know, fellowship at the U.S. Department of Ed. And, you know, one, they they ask you to why you were there to th- really think of some a project that you really wanted to be you know involved in and so this was one uh got to see you know uh sister Janice Jones and Kalila Harris and uh David John some others pull off this amazing uh you know male educators of color uh but before that what happened was young black men were reaching out and saying hey I'm thinking about quitting I'm thinking about you know leaving the profession you know can you talk about this time I'm you know I'm a elder in the, in the, you know, in the uh, profession. And so it just started off as responding to, you know, a need, responding to the, my brothers who were calling out and asking um, for support, started meeting with them individually. And, and to be honest, a little selfishly, I said, you know what, this one-to-one meeting was starting to really be taxing and just ask them, hey, can we all meet together? Um, and so we started doing that, started meeting together. And the brothers were just, man, brilliant, brilliant brothers, PhDs. You know, um, you know, I see Robert Parker, you know, one of the uh, leaders of our organization in, in the comments. Right. And so we, we just started that. And then at some point it was like, hey, people were saying, hey, I got another brother who could come another. I know somebody else who could who need this support. And so we 
October 1, 2015, we decided just to have a black male educator convening. Uh, Chris Stewart actually came to our first one. You know, he, he came to our, our very, very, very first convening and just bringing brothers together to talk about issues, to center their voices, center black male experiences. And as, as you all know, only 2% of, cl- of classroom teachers around the country are, are black men. And so often their voices, uh, you know, aren't heard. They're not uplifted. They're not centered. So we wanted to create a space where black male educators experience was centered in this conversation. It was beautiful too. That was my first time meeting Sharif. Yeah. Yeah. And I walked away like it was, it was the coolest thing I ever seen. Yeah. It was at a building of black educators that were living together. Mm -hmm. It was like a, a apartment building, a condo building that they had taken over and it was all black males in there. Sharp, young, energetic, uh, super smart black male educators. And, it, it just, I had never seen anything like it. Bro, are you eating right now? <laughs> listen, listen. He hungry. I need to, I need to know. He's hungry. I just want to tell you right now. You was getting drunk. You've been getting drunk for the last three shows, right? I, I have drinking. to get drunk. No, get no, lies, no lies detected. No lies detected. You've been drinking the hard stuff. I have to do this stuff. in order to get through with like, working with y'all. It's difficult. Whatever. Like, like I don't know what, you know, listen, I'm eating an apple. You was like getting all <laughs> hennessy you know, for the last three shows. He was drinking fermented apples. He, he had apples too. You see, you see how y'all, how y'all do? How y'all, how y'all just stereotype? Bruh, don't drink like, it. Host. A, like I'm not a wine drinker. Like why can't I be a wine drinker? Why you throw me straight into the hard liquor? Like it wasn't that wine. Bro? You know, you know wine. Chris, Chris done threw some darts and some, and some oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what? You know what? You know it wasn't wine. Come on, bro. It's absolutely wine. They don't have wine on the East Coast. (laughs) Wine is a California thing, bro. I'm sorry. I hate to tell you. Corona seltzer. Corona seltzer. You drinking Zima. You know it, but go ahead. Hey, yo, Zima Zima got me through a lot of things. Stop it. Yo, yeah, hey, you it. already know, Doctor Smith. You already know, Unc about mm-hmm. to come out, baby. All right, so we're gonna segue <laughs> into this, right? So you heard my take, you, you heard Chris's take, and so now we have our Charles Agentic moment. <laughs> Charles Agentic. Charles. It's how we said it. Everything was all hype. He said. Brother, I appreciate that. Um, And nobody know what it means. Here's my agentic moment. I think that right now it's a lot of distraction. There's a lot of folks. uh, Some people feel a certain way about Biden. Just to stay on the same theme. uh, Some folks are saying, look, I'm rocking with Biden. He can have a few gaffes because the alternative is way worse. And we've seen a whole bunch of people die because of it. And you got this other camp like Chris was talking about. That's like, you know, my vote is my vote or whatever. Black people, what I'm telling you is you need to have a plan for whoever gets elected. And so what I would say is black folks, it looks like Trump is going to get elected based off what I'm seeing people say. And if they if votes are being kind of removed, uh, have a plan for yourself that somewhat isolates or insulates you from these things uh, that he kind of has. There's an uh, echo. Um, Try to insulate yourself as best as you can. I know you can if you pour, like there's just some policies that's going to impact you and it's going to be really, really hard, but try to plan for it as much as you can. If Biden wins and you're somebody that cares about education and cares about freedom of education, you should have an alternative education plan uh, for your child in addition to whatever state plan that he kind of has, because I look at the cabinet that he's building uh, around education and it seems that he's kind of kowtowed to some of the people in the unions, right? So. Again, I'm not telling you where to vote, 
If you asking me where I'm a vote, I can let you know I have no problem saying that. I think that we're taking our eye off the ball. I will be voting for Biden for Biden. Um, it's not a hard choice for me at all because my goal is to get Trump out of office. I'd rather work with a Biden administration than that what we've been dealing with right now. But as black folks, you gotta be ready, right? Start sharpening your your, your swords, start getting your poles ready. Uh, because again, ain't nobody coming to save you. And I don't think either one of these folks really give a damn about you. Uh, but the question is it ain't always between good and bad. Sometimes you got to make a tough choice between the options that's in front of you. So mm. that's been my authentic moment. That's what's up. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that, sir. Have Man. a plan regardless of who's in there. Yeah, I love it. And, and for, mm. for, for those of y'all that, that can't tell how we're building this up, this Patreon is going to be lit. <laughs> lit. Lit. And by the time we get to the Patreon, Unc will be in the building. Mm. Unc will be in the building. Anyway, back to Reef. Reef, uh, sir, you can't put the comments up when the questions are going up, sir. Go ahead, man. <laughs> How did you engage and in the school activism pipeline as a principal? I think one supporting the students. You know, I think student voice is one of the the least talked about um, aspects of school. You know, um, asking students how they feel, what do they, you know, what do they believe in, what are their aspirations? You know, one of the things we would ask at, at like back to school night, so to speak, would be, you know, asking families, you know, what are your aspirations? Asking students, what are your goals? Right. Instead of just bringing them in there saying like, hey, here are the expectations we have for school and this is what time to do this and it's time to do that. No, actually asking them, like, what are your goals? What do we need to do? You know, and accountability. Right. Like I think. You know, students seeing that there are adults who love them and love them enough to hold themselves as adults accountable for student outcomes or how they're supporting it and include, you know, student uh, student voice and student surveys was part of our evaluation system. Right. And so students felt like they had a voice um, always to be able to speak to someone, voice their concern, address the issues, you know. Um, but then also, like, you know, we, we had students who were just like doing things, man, just like showing real leadership in the city. And that's the part, you know, that I just loved uh, probably the most as a principal is, is watching students grow. We had the benefit of being a seven through 12 school. So you really see students coming in at such a young age and we'd have a program even before they got to seven. So really from sixth grade all the way through 12th grade, watching students uh, grow, inform our vision. Uh, it, it was just beautiful, man. They were, you know, like they were people knew like, you know, shoe crew students like they were coming. They were they were whether it was protests, whether it was speaking engagement, whether it was hosting uh, panels, hosting revolutionaries, you know. Uh, yeah, it was it was, uh, you know, just shout out to the shoe crew students, man. I, I absolutely loved and adored them. Yeah. Shout out to the shoe crew, man. So then that takes me to the next question. Not every teacher is going to stand tall when you're talking about school to activism. So it's like, how did you kind of get the teachers on board? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think initially it was this idea of, you know, sharing a compelling vision. You know, this is, uh, you know, one of one of the, the best feedback that I gave when I first started at the, at the last school, I was at Shoemaker. I didn't really share my story. I didn't share like, you know, why I was in, I was just kind of like, yo, we got work to do, let's jump in it. And it really taught me like, you have to share your why, you have to, you know, people have to know like, you know, what your roots are, why you believe in what you believe. Once I, I you know, started sharing that more, 
Um, you know, people were buying in. And even if they weren't, you know, you, you're not going to get everybody who's like a rah-rah and, and, you know, doing doing this and that. But how they taught their classes, yeah, absolutely. They believed in, in activism. They believed in students having the power to, uh, as, as Cole said, being able to have options, whatever it is, that it was informed option, that they have multiple doors to walk through. And so that's how they educate it. But yeah, like every every teacher is not necessarily going to do that. But at some point we start, you know, as there were certain elements that would be attracted to teach at Shoemaker, right? Like there's a certain group of folks who want to like, oh, that's the school I want to work in. The, those are the uh, those are the colleagues I want to work with. And, you know, by and large, I, you know, and I was there for 11 years. So I had the benefit of, of being there and being consistent. And our team was consistent. There were so many, you know, uh, teachers there who ended up being leaders in the school, um, founding members. There were people I went I got there. It was the second year uh, of existence. Some of those folks are still there now, you know, leading this fight. Um, yeah. And Toya brings up a good point, just parental involvement. Like we looked at it as parents. You know, another benefit that we had was I grew up in that same neighborhood. I attended that school at, during summer school one year when uh, I was acting up in Mr. Kiesel's chemistry class. He assigned me summer school at Shoemaker uh, as this, you know, 15 year old high school junior. And so it was it was the neighborhood. But, you know, parents were were very much involved in, in our school and, and not just involved, engaged, informing us, giving us feedback. It was beautiful. You know, when I hear when I hear schools say like, oh, we can't get parents to come out. Hey, Charles, leave that question. I've never I've never seen that that, uh, you know, that in any of the schools that I've been like parents showed up, you know, our, our seniors and people say, oh, when they get older, parents aren't involved. 100% of our families were were coming to those meetings, you know, uh, all year long. So, you know, yeah, I think you got to, if you respect people as partners, you honor them as partners. You show like, you know, it's my, you know, it's a privilege to, to for me to earn your trust with your child. Then you're going to have a different type of culture in your school. That's what's up. So, Charles, there was a, a question that you just had up, and I want to definitely bring that back up. Oh, I thought you just asked me to take it down. All right. No, no, no. Um, got you. Uh, it's so many comments, bro. Um, do you have a, do you remember what it was kind of about? It was about the uh, hyper discipline. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, so, uh, shout out to Robin because Robin is always in our comments whenever we post something. That's, that's doc, soon to be Dr. Robin Renee. That's uh, Dr. F O H <laughs> because she always uses that in terms of how she uh, describes things, and she said that she's going to put that in her dissertation. So she's, Dr. she's serious too. She is. She, you know, I, I met. Uh, you know, Robin uh, a while ago, and she's you know she's at Temple going to Pitt. Um, you know, really excited to see what you know what she does. But she's a she's a child advocate. She's absolutely right. You know, just and and this is again. I went to an elementary school that was called Discipline Now, Nitamu <laughs> Sasa. So I think there's a difference between self discipline and then other people just trying to put a, a foot on a child's neck the entire time, right? Teaching children self discipline. Uh, is absolutely, I, I believe, is an important thing. You know, for them to be able to stay focused, for them to be able to get from point A to point B, I think it takes discipline. You know, just like when Harriet would say, like, shh, be quiet, and people were able to respond and be quiet, I think that same type of, it's not the same context, but that same type of discipline is absolutely important. And so I, I think, you know, when schools, you know, basically are raising children or educating children the way that they want their own children to be educated, I think that's the start. 
You know, I think that schools should look at, you know, how many students are they expelling? How, you know, part of our, our metrics that we hold ourselves accountable was how many students return. And one of the things that we didn't hold ourselves accountable for, but we definitely took a lot of pride in was how many students had siblings in that school. Mm -hmm. To us, that was the highest measure of how we engaged and involved and respected parents, because they say, you know what, the first time around, like I, you know, maybe I didn't know too much. But when I send my second and third child to you, that means you've earned my trust. And for us, that was that was the bar. That was the highest bar um, and level of you know endorsement that we could receive. Like all the accolades that we got from President Obama to Oprah Winfrey to um, the state to Pin Can, all of these. None of it measured as much as the feedback that I got from families when I was walking home uh, or seeing them out in the street or the emails that I would get or that they would send their younger children to us. That's what's up. You know, it feels like on that point, can I just say, you know, because discipline comes up a lot and I think it's important, um, but it feels like there are some schools that are it's just over with. It's already a done deal. Like unless you start them over and start from scratch, mm-hmm. like turnaround in some cases are better than like slow takeovers or whatnot. What I, you mean? know, I'll just put the question. Well, you know, some people don't believe in turnarounds. Some people believe, you know, don't don't believe in doing anything but restarts like grade by grade, one grade at a time and build the culture. And, you know, that sort of thing. I, I visit a lot of schools and I hear a lot of talk about discipline. But I just never see anybody point me to one that they think is really working out very well. First of all, Come where through. the kids, where there is really discipline, like Come you know, through. like where, where things really are, you know, disciplined or whatnot. I hear a lot of conjecture, a lot of college level Ivy League. I wrote a paper on this type of discipline stuff, and it all revolves around you know, don't be so authoritarian and blah blah. I don't see any of those people showing up in the schools where kids are cutting each other and telling teachers, you know, calling teachers everything that they could possibly call them and throwing stuff and whatnot, bringing that, bringing their, their, their theses into those schools. Right. And the only thing I can see, cause they're trying everything in those schools, they're hiring, you know, people that are giving million dollar contracts to courageous conversations and drive by PD and they're doing all different kinds of things. But the only thing I really can see is like start restarting, start school from scratch. You know, if it, if it gets that bad, I just have never seen anybody come in and make it work. I mean, there's a lot of theorists out there, right? Like, and say like, oh, you can't do this or you can't do that. Like, you know, I think a a black child needs self-control and self-discipline in order to be successful. All the traps that are set for these black children, for these brown babies out in this world, you absolutely better have discipline of thought, discipline of mind and discipline of action. And that's practiced, right? But schools should also be safe spaces for children to make mistakes. You know, Parker put in there, the difference between authoritarian and authoritative. Authoritarian is like, you know what? I don't wanna hear any explanation. I might not even support you. You just better do what I said. Authoritative is here's the bar. I'm not changing the bar for for either behavior or your, your academic output, but I'm gonna support you getting there. I love you. And we, your success is my success. My success is your success. And I'm not low in the bar. Like all my students know like, oh yeah, I, I love them. But I also had a high bar like, yo, 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 we don't do that here. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's where, that's when school turnarounds or um, environments that don't have a stable, if you don't have a stable school environment or school culture, you need to raise the bar for those kids. And once you start raising a bar for those kids, once you start remaining consistent in terms of how you interact with those kids, once you start engaging with parents and bringing parents in and like listening to them as opposed to uh, judging them, then, 
you know, that partnership can kind of help you turn around a school. Mm -hmm. I've never seen a school that couldn't be turned around. Mm, um, really? The begin yeah, the beginning of the beginning of my career, Baltimore City Public Schools. I worked in Lake Cl Lake Clifton High School. Um, when I came when I came into the uh, the interview, <laughs> I came into the interview. It was like, oh, he's a he's a black man. He's big. He can, he can, you know. Mm. But and that's how a lot of black males are viewed in terms of uh, in terms of when they become educators. But I'm an intellectual, so it's like my approach is different. I can do those types of things, but then I can approach it in a caring manner. And so when I did that, I had more, I, I just, my kids loved me and we were able to get mm -hmm. things done. Mm -hmm. And so when I come into- They knew you loved them too, right? And they responded to it, right? So, so like, it, it's, you know, and you, and you said before, you were like, you know, they need to know they can make a mistake. Hell yeah, you can make a mistake. But if you make that mistake, then Ankrum is going to be at your crib, eating your food, talking to your parents about that mistake you made and how we going to write it tomorrow. Like I'm not, you know, and then, I like my son's school. My son goes to a, a predominantly white country club school, and uh, these teachers don't even want to call home. Mm. I gotta aggressively accost them in order to get mm -hmm. information on my son because they're like, "Well, you know, that's really they, not our job." They scared to call <laughs> you, or they just don't want to call you. They don't want to call me. They're they probably might be. afraid in some <laughs> cases. Maybe. Maybe I, I mean, you're kind of tall, bro, and you drink. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, I, he got them daggers coming. I'm just, I mean, shit. I, mean, I, I don't know if I'm calling you, bro. And I know you. I don't know if I'm calling you. We're education uh, podcast. We're education podcast, but I think yeah. we talk. I mean, we talk about schools a lot, and I don't think schools should be the only play in town. I, I think that they're, you know, what what helped me out in my development. It wasn't my school did a, a small part. It did a lot more harm than good, if I'm being honest with you. Mm -hmm. but like my boys club, man, my church, like there are other entities in those communities and other people. And I just don't know why we keep putting so much of our hope and trust in these schools. Like, you know, Ray, you said something interesting. I don't, you ain't seen a school that can be turned around. Shit, I have. I seen something that need to be burned to the fucking ground and, and not allowed to teach another soul. You know what I mean? But I think that like at some point, you know, we just we just had this talk about Biden and Trump and Democrat Republican. I feel the same way almost almost about schools. Right. Like there's a role that schools can play. But I don't. Why would I keep putting all my chips in a in an empty basket? And every time you drop an egg in that basket, it falls to the ground and crack. Right. Where if, if two out of 10 eggs are the only ones surviving. Right. Like. I just feel like we having too much talk about that basket as opposed to like, well, maybe you need a sack, bro. Maybe you, <laughs> maybe you need, maybe you just need some different alternatives, man. I, I, I just think that I know that most of our, our work kind of deals in schools and, and things like that, man. But this conversation got to get opened up wider because if, if, if the success of our people is solely dependent on these schools, then we, we, we do them before we even start. I mean, you don't say though that that's because they're like, we don't, we, when you look at your tax bill in your house, you're not being taxed on your house for the boys and girls club. You're being taxed for these expenses, bad schools. It's compulsory for our kids to go there. It's like, by law, you have to go there. You miss 10 days. They start sending people out to look it's for you true. so they can get your ass back in there. There's a whole middle-class industry of people making money off of the misery of your children, not learning. Right. So there's too much wrapped up. I, I get what you're saying. I believe we all, as parents, we have a role. Clergy have a role. Uh, community activists have a role. Uh, many of our civil rights groups don't even have an education tab, a K-12 education tab on all their issues that, they, that they're working for. So I'm with you. I think all of those make sense. Churches got to stop shutting their doors all week long and only open them on Sunday so they can pass the, pass the plate. 
but still there's this place that we have to send them Monday through Friday for a good number of hours. And there are all these professional people in there that are being paid to do something with them. I get why we put so much emphasis and focus on it. If they're not learning even to read, right. Just to read and do basic math. We're not asking them to solve all the world's problems. We're asking them in 12 years, you can't graduate somebody capable of reading. I want to be clear, though. I'm not I'm not saying schools accountable. Hold them accountable. But what I'm also saying is sometimes that dog just ain't going to hunt, bro. Like some like how, how many how many babies got to go through it that can't read? How, like we, we in 2020 and three out of 10 black kids is reading in these schools like we ain't in 1920 or 1820. This right. 2020. Like, at what point do you got to get pissed off enough? I'm just saying I'm kind of going off your point that you made about Biden and the Democrats. Right. At what point do you just say, fuck it? Like, nah, I'm not going. I'm not falling for that binary no more. That's a false binary. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a radical binacity issue. Right. Right. Like, at what point do I'm like, look, if I'm just like, hey, here's what my school can do well and here's what they don't do well. Here's my alternative plan around that stuff. Cause you got to send your kids to school. That's what the law say. I ain't mad at that. But what I'm saying is if you don't have an, an additional plan that, that in, in addition to sending your kid to that failing school, then you planning for them to, to fail. Now we can keep working. You should always keep working to keep these schools accountable. We should always try to make it better, but what's happening for your kid on Monday? What's happening for your kid at the end of the year? What's happening for your kid up here in the first grade now? What's, what, what's going to be the result in 11 years? You know what I'm saying? And if you don't start getting him some other mentors, if you don't start asking, you know, making your church do some stuff or whatever, I'm just saying, I don't know exactly what the answer is for you, but what I'm saying is as a parent, if you're listening to this, you should start thinking about a plan. Bro, here's what I'm going to say to you. I'm going to push back on, you know, on what you said earlier about the schools that you've seen and some schools needing to be closed down or whatever. I get it. There's some really rough schools, but if you put a Belichick in that school and you put the right systems in place, then any school can be turned around because you got to believe in these kids, man. And so if you put the right leader in the right situation, you give that leader the opportunity to get the right teachers on board that care about kids as well, then you can turn around a school. So let me respond to you, because that's a big if. That's a big if, and statistically, it ain't on your side, right? Now, keep me with the four. Keep me with the four, right? Um, you don't tell me. Let me finish my statement, right? Let's say it's somebody that you love, right? Let's say it's, so, this is why I said keep it with the four. Let's say it's, some, let's say it's your grandmother, and your grandmother needs a surgery. And are you saying like, yo, I don't know if this surgeon, let's get a surgeon in there. Like, I don't know if this surgeon can do it. They ain't really tried and tested. They worked over here or whatever. Are you taking that type of chance with somebody that you love? Like, all I'm saying is we have been the guinea pigs. What what you said was get a Belichick in the school, bro. You said like Belichick. Belichick is tried and true. It's one. Been, let me finish. It's one Belichick in the league, bro. It's one Belichick in the football league, bro. It's one Belichick in the NFL. It ain't a whole bunch of Sharifs across the country, bro. There are less Sharifs than there are felon people in black schools, if we look at stats. There ain't Chris Stewart's in every media room, bro. There aren't, there aren't Chris Stewart's that's going to go up against unions and all that stuff and take all the shit that people got. What I'm saying is if you want to play them eyes with your people, cool. Right. But with me in mind, I'm not I'm, I, I'm, I have to hedge my bet some kind of way. All I'm saying is give me ways to hedge my bet. I'm not giving up on your schools. 
I still got to send them. The law say I got to send them. All I'm saying is let me hedge my bets. I don't get your point, though, in this in this one At way, because because I feel like I'm with you. Most of what you're saying, it looks like people are with you, too, because it sounds good. You know, yeah, everybody has a role to play. Everybody should do something. But I'm a parent. I got three in these systems right now. And we do what we need to do at home. They're in some other things that help them do other, you know, whatever, see the world in broad way. But what comes down to brass tacks about math, like when it comes down to brass tacks about reading, I'm doing something. Absolutely. But my plan, I have a plan. You're, you're saying have a plan. Okay, I have a plan. Have but part, a, of my, but part of my plan is making sure that I keep the screws on these schools where you have all these professional people making money off of my children and not teaching them to read, write, or do math to my satisfaction, right? And I am involved. I do have a plan. Yeah. Right. And, so, and I got all that. But you know what? The Boys and Girls Club or, or Kids Club after school or the library isn't teaching my kids the hard stuff. Right. So, the basic. I mean, so, I would just say, I would just say, listen, I was I, I, in 26 years, I was only in three schools because I really believed in in developing roots and, and being a part of the integral part of the community to, so that I could be a, a servant leader. Like that's how I approached it Two, the last two were turnaround schools. And so, you know, when I when I when I think about, you know, like the conditions that they were in, when I went to Shaw Middle School and and it was like just chaos, they were in the, in the newspaper, uh, you know, uh, multiple times when I finally decided to, to go there and support the staff there and, and hire well, um, move some people out. Right. It was a turnaround effort. When I came to Shoemaker, it was already in the turnaround process. It was it was considered the second most dangerous school in the state of Pennsylvania, yeah. middle school. Right. And so I, I do believe that, you know, schools can be turned around. It's about the adults in the building. It is about the systems that are developed to support them. And I do believe like as as good as I may have been as a principal and as an educator, I'm not the only one. I do agree. Like there's a talent. There's a talent pipeline that's constricted. And so I do agree with Cole, like we need far more people. And I think in addition to that, when you talk about like baskets, one of the baskets that we need to invest in is having more schools created black led black for conscious black people leading and founding schools in and outside of out of the system like that's what we need we need far more of that in addition and listen when you talk about like i've been in that space right like so nathan musasa was was adjacent we were always part of the community and things like that like i didn't take gym in more in in nathan musasa you know what we have for physical education we have martial arts you know, mm-hmm. that, it, that we had, that was our physical education. Mm-hmm. And we didn't just do it in school. We did it in the summertime. We did it at nights. We did it a weekend. So that way, when Cole talks about his Boys and Girls Club, for me, that was martial arts. It was Vita right. Sana, right? And so that's what I did. But that was also inside the school because that brother, uh, Baba Changa, wasn't just our Vita Sana teacher. He was also our art and political science and history teacher, right? And so it was all there. Our community and school, it wasn't like divided in the way that a lot of schools are divided now. It was, it was, you know, integrated. And so I think that piece is, is really important. So I, I want to be very clear, right? Cause I, I think some of my stuff got lost and I want to address what Chris said, right? Chris, I would argue that you have a bunch of plans. Like we have talked on this radio on, on the show before, and you have, you have different kids that go to different types of schools, right? Like you have, I've seen the beautiful pictures of your kids at home on the computer. Like you have, there are plans, there are fail safes involved. As a social worker, what I'm saying is I've been in homes where the whole plan was that school. The whole plan was, I'm, I'm, 
I, I need, I'm dependent on this school or whatever the case is, right? I think what Sharif said was an amazing point. Like, I'm not saying it got to be the boys club in your place. It could be that Sharif went to alternative schools. He didn't go to these traditional type of schools. You see what I'm saying? And at home, he has certain things being reinforced. What I'm saying is there are some people, I see them, I know them and I coach them. They don't have a plan B. They're, all their hopes and dreams are in that neighborhood school. And what I'm saying is that's never going to be good enough for me. And I, and to raise point, if you can get a Belichick type person in all these schools, that's amazing. But bro, it ain't no other NFL teams. It's like that that got Belichick level coaching, bro. Is you what you don't really need a Belichick, though. I mean, that's that's like a high bar. You just need pe- you just need people that could do do do. Like we're not we're not looking for champions. Y'all might not be understanding me, but I do think these people in these comments are hearing what I'm saying. Like what I'm saying to you, Chris, is like, and, and Chris, our common bond, how we came together, is we. I feel like you and I do know what these schools need, but you and I have a common like friendship because we know that most schools are not doing this. This is why you push back on these traditional schools the way you do. This is why you go so hard for vouchers. This is why you go so hard for charters and, and alternative methods. I, I don't think we're disagreeing. I don't think we're disagreeing except for one thing. There's just one thing, which is no matter what we do, no matter what your plan is, part of your plan has to keep pushing these schools. Absolutely. I never right? said that. Because, because, because these people that you're saying don't have a plan B, because you, you realize I was in social services for a decade, Absolutely. too. Right. Right. A lot of times your your options are very limited based upon your hours of the day, what bus you're getting on, what what time you have to be at this job or that job, what time you have to get down to the county for this or that meeting that starts boxing you in to what your options are. Like how many different things can you be like taking care of during the day? The mainstay is going to be the school. They're going to have your child for the longest. Absolutely. So no matter what, I'm they not, have to have pressure on them to do a good job I'm, because I'm, your child is going to be there. I'm not, but I'm not saying I'm not saying that we don't keep pushing these schools. Nowhere did I say that. I said push those schools. When I, the way I look at it, you need to have a plan B. I'm, I'm saying they can, I'm, saying, I'm right, saying so I'm trying to say to you, they can't always have a plan B. Let me right? just real quick. A lot, they, they don't have the luxury a lot of times of a plan B. And I've worked with families where the school really is the main kind of thing available to them because of their situation, okay. because of their work hours, because of their like their their housing situation, whatever. Not okay. everybody can have a whole bunch of other resources going on in their kids. There's lives. a lot of parents oh. who are just trying to survive. Right. They're right. trying to survive. Go That's ahead. Right. What the? Fuck? Go, go ahead. <laughs> Move the conversations to the Patreon. It's all good. <laughs> but we got to get through the rest of the show. We're gonna all right. Eight minutes for 20 minutes worth of content. So, Reef, Center of Black Education, bro. Yeah, so Center for Black Educated Development, I, you know, I, it had to be a huge reason for me to leave Shoemaker um, after 11 years. Like, I, I thought I'd be there till I was, you know, 63 or 64. Uh, but really decided to like, what, what would it look like if, um, instead of doing, you know, like a lot of the work was supporting the fellowship, doing it part-time, suppose I went in and did it full-time. Right. And so, so the idea is like, how do we support this, uh, the pipeline of, of new teachers, not just host the convenings, but what does it look like if we engage back to that school to activism? And I believe teaching, good teaching, effective teaching is a form of activism. Teaching, if you're teaching well, it's a subversive act because the system itself is built to crush the spirits of black and brown children. It was not built for them. 
But if somebody's doing it right, if somebody's undermining that and building something else, a different vision for, for black children to be able to meet their goals and aspirations, then that's subversive, right? And so when W.B. Du Bois says, you know, teaching is a revolutionary act, um, you know, like that's a that's a thing, or James Baldwin, that's a thing, right? And so we're like, suppose we engage high school youth because some of them are actually maybe interested in this, right? Suppose we look at what are the policies we need to, to uh, you know, support and advocate for to increase diversity. Pennsylvania, 96% of the teachers are white in Pennsylvania, just like Minnesota, mm. just like several other uh, states. 96%, 4% of everybody else, right? 96% white. And so we look at students and we look at the effectiveness of is a uh, black teacher. We look at, we had... Uh, you know, we, t- we talked earlier uh, in the year about the impact of, of black educators on, on youth. If it's, you know, up to 39 percent more likely to, to graduate high school, 29 percent less likely, you know, more likely to go to college. Right. And so at the Center for Black Educated Development, we have four pillars to uh, push for policy, advocate for policies that, that support, um, you know, uh, diversity and educational justice, uh, provide professional development, professional learning opportunities, workshops, coaching, mentoring for current and aspiring black educators. Uh, also provide professional development for all. Anybody who's in front of black and brown children, anybody who's teaching marginalized students, we want to we have uh, the content and the team to support them. Uh, and then, you know, just continuing to, to support this, uh, the pipeline. And really, we use the Freedom School model, year round freedom schools to uh, engage youth in activism, engage youth in, in developing uh, as educators and mentors for the next generation. It's an intergenerational approach. We have uh, master level teachers supporting college students who are supporting high school students. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. We're all supporting these young scholars. So, you know, it's been a challenge now because of Roro, but we're, we've been moving virtually. <laughs> you know, we're going to have a, a virtual freedom school. We just got finished. Here's the beautiful thing. We, uh, our team just finished uh, interviewing about 26, 27 college students. Um, Parker was a part of this uh, interview process. The youth... Like help is on the way. Like these youth were so conscious, so active, so committed. We're like, you know, and just like it was beautiful, you know, for our team to hear them and engage them. We saw them in person last year and they were phenomenal. We saw we saw high school students engaging with a second grader about, you know, like how to, you know, bring them back in the fold better than sometimes I've seen actual adults do. Right. Wow. And so uh, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. So I, I just believe with our youth help is on the way. A revolutionary always has to be fueled by some hope and, and our youth. That's, right, that's stop, 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 stop. I'm going to set you up nice, right? Because I know you was about to quote something and not tell us where you was quoting it from or whatever. <laughs> no, I wasn't quoting anybody. I'm, I'm setting you up nice. What you got? A reefism. Leave us with a reefism. I don't know if I have a, a reefism, but, you know, one, one thing I would say is... Uh, uh, one of the things that Dr. Sonia Sanchez, who was a, you know, one of the, the parents and, and community members, uh, if you don't know her, look her up. She's a phenomenal poet, activist um, for many, many years. Uh, Dr. Sanchez said that the one thing that we have to be clear is that America is killing black children. <laughs> and if you're clear about that, then you're going to be clear about everything you need to do, whatever it takes to ensure that that we're protecting the children. Right. How are the children, as as we love to uh, as we love to say, they 
the children need help. They need our help. Um, and so that's that's what the work is. That's what my entire career was. And now that I'm at the Center for Black Educated Development, I'm committed to making that the second part of my career just as a hell bent on supporting that. That's what's up, Reef. All right. Fellas, we're closing it out. Closing thoughts. Starting with you, Chris. Um, so my closing thought, when Sharif was on my show last week, I think it was, he read from the handbook from um, from uh, Nalamu Sasa uh, from years ago. And it, and it said, and I have it pulled up, um, the school existed on the front line of the struggle with our children, meshing hard academics with strength of spirit and the desire to be on the human side of the world's most pressing social questions. We have boldly decided that no one can do a better job of this than we can, and that fundamentally this is our fight and responsibility. I think the real fight is to have more schools that take on a mission like that of racial uplift and to get our schools out of the schools that are harming them and get them into the safe harbor of culturally affirming schools. It's not going to happen overnight, but no revolution does. So I, I love what you're doing, Sharif. I love that you always bring it back to these very centering and grounded uh, values. And uh, I think we need more of it. Appreciate it. Dr. Cole, I am going to yield my time to you, sir, because I know that there's some questions that need to be answered. I think it was a couple that needed a Patreon question. Yeah, I got you. It was one was uh, what is a Patreon? So for the folks listening, Patreon is a paywall that we do bonus content, more access to. Uh, we, we are not as censored and uh, we just we go a lot deeper into a lot of these conversations and you can join by going to patreon.com slash eight BH. Uh, and if somebody could put that in, that'd be great for folks. But what happens is we carry these conversations over and we continue them there. We have a book club in there. Ray does a lot of additional content there and you just have generally more uh, access to us. And the other question was, what do y'all think, you know, just the difference between agency and entitlement agency tends entitlement is something that you just kind of come with. You don't have to really work for it. It just kind of is there. And sometimes agency is something that you kind of have to push for. I mean, that's kind of rudimentary. We can go a little deeper, but I don't want to take up too much time in the final thought, final thought. Um, and I'm looking forward to this Patreon conversation. Um, I think that, uh, Depending on these systems that have shown you over and over that they don't love you is a, is, a, is a recipe for disaster. I don't know how bad it has to get for you to have additional plans. I, I continue to push it. You need to have a policy goal, which I call that fixing the school, pushing, holding those teachers accountable. And Chris's and, and Sharif and Ray, they want they the best in the business in doing that. But they ain't everywhere. You know what I'm saying? Agentic goal is more like, yo, in addition to that, what am I doing right now? And I don't give a damn how poor the neighborhood is or what those resources are. If you don't have additional plans or plan Bs, them streets don't close. I promise you they don't. I promise you they don't. They be, they'll be there waiting uh, where these schools are dropping the slack. Uh, Sharif, I love you. I appreciate the work that you do. I know we give each other hell a lot of time, man, but I think that you are uh, truly a gem, and I think you're one of the smartest people I know, and I appreciate your energy and what you bring to this podcast. Thank you. I enjoy, enjoy being here. Just the brotherhood. Closes out. No, I appreciate, you know, being able to, to, you know, share a little bit about, you know, my background, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, and thanks, Chris, for reading that, you know, uh, that piece from the Damasasa. I think that's what's grounded my work. You know, when I think about my parents who were in the Black Panther Party, my cousins who were in the Black Panther Party, the school in the Damasasa, being able to grow up in Iran, I know all of that is unique. But what I do know also is that there are a whole lot of folks, even if they are not uh, did not have that type of background that are still wholly committed to uh, to our children 
Three of them are right here on this on this podcast with us. And we all know many, many folks who are uh, about that life, about our children. You know, when I think about Audre Lorde, she said, I was raised to be deliberate and fear nothing. That's what we need. Be deliberate in your work for black children for the eight million and fear nothing. That's all well, I got. That should have been your reefism. <laughs> well, I'll right, close so, uh, there it is folks you've been listening to the 8 Black Hands we'll see you next week peace peace you have been listening to the 8 Black Hands podcast with Ankrum Cole El Mecky and Stewart if you like what you heard follow us on Twitter our handle is at 8 Black Hands 1 thank you for listening <laughs>